Well, church, if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We will be in verses 14 through 16 for a message entitled, The Household of God. So as you know, we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul reading or writing to Timothy, who is a leader at the church of Ephesus. And he is giving him um, different pieces of wisdom on exactly how or instruction on how the church should run. And so we have gone through verse by verse and now we find ourselves in verse 14. But let's pray, ask the author to help us to understand what he would have us to learn today. Father, we just come to you in thanks. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to understand your word, that it would be applied to our lives, and that we would leave here changed. Lord, even if we've listened or heard or read this scripture multiple times, Lord, let it be fresh to us. Let it wash over us. Lord, give us an understanding for who we are in you and who we are in the body of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a movie called Miracle. It's a hockey movie. I know that we don't play a lot of hockey around here, but I really like this movie. It's with Kurt Russell, and Kurt Russell is the lead coach. And what has happened is he has been selected to be the coach of the Olympic hockey team. And so he has all these different methods. He was a coach at a university, and so he knows all these, all these different these different men who played hockey, some of them played on his team, some of them played against him, but he knows these guys. They are amazing hockey players. And so what he's tasked with is that he's tasked with bringing all these men together and forming a winning hockey team. And they are going to go up against the Russians, and it is a very dramatic movie. But there's a part where they're at this, um, over in another country, and they're playing a game. It's not the Olympic Games yet, but it's all these different practice games. And the coaches behind the team in, in hockey, I don't know if you know, but the, the, the players are sitting down here, and behind the coaches are there, and they're kind of watching. They're watching the game, but then they're all also watching their players. If they see a specific setup that they want to attack, they'll tell a player, all right, go. Another player will come back. They'll switch. But the coach is watching, and he's watching his team, who's supposed to be devoted and focused on the game. And these guys are looking not at the game, but lo they're looking in the crowds at the girls. And they're saying, oh, wait, look at three rows up. Look at those blondes. And oh, wait a minute, look over there. Look at those girls. And so the coach is furious. He's getting more upset because these guys are not about the task at hand, but they're thinking about something else. And so at the, at the end of the game, the assistant coach, all the players are walking out. They're getting ready to go off the ice, and the assistant coach is right here, keeping them from going off of the ice. He said, Herb wants you on the ice. And all these boys are like, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? We just played a game. He said, coach wants to talk to you on the ice. And so the guys come back out and the coach says, all right, you don't want to work during the game. We'll work now. 
And here's what he does. He sits them up and he has them skate suicides. They go back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. So long that the guy that, that does the uh, Zamboni, he wants to like shut it down and go home. So he comes up and he says to the coach, hey, I need to leave. And so then all the players are so excited. They're like, okay, we're going to finally get out of here. They are just dying tired. And the coach says, tell them to leave the keys all lock up. And so the, 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 this guy that's a worker goes over and he shuts the lights off as if the pain is going to end. But the coach is trying to instill in these players something. And guess what? He says, you know what? We're going to keep skating. So he keeps sending them in the dark back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, they are at the end of their rope. Snot is dripping from their nose. They're laying on the ground. They're getting up. And the coach says, get up. And then out of nowhere, someone stands up and he says, he says his name. He says, Michael Ranzoni, something like that. And then the coach says this, who do you play for? See, here's the thing, is that before when they were introducing themselves, they say their name, and I play for, you know, the, the Boston University, and I play for all this other stuff. And it was really important to them, the name on the back, you know, and he said, who do you play for? And it finally clicked that you play for the United States of America. That's what he said. And then coach said, that'll be all, gentlemen. And he walked off. And he wanted to instill in these men, and actually one of the lines is, the name on the front is a lot more important than the name on the back. See, the name on the back is your name. But the name on the front is who you represent, who you really are. And so as we look at this text, we Christians have to understand who we really are and who we actually really represent. So with that, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Let me read them and then we'll break them down. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory." So here's what Paul says. Paul goes in and says, listen, don't you know who you are? I want to I help you understand and how to behave in the church. And we've seen that. So first, let's focus on that. He said how one ought to behave, how one ought to live in the church. And we've seen that. We've gone over different verses and we are learning how to behave in God's church. How do we behave in church? See, when we come in, we got to think, wait a minute, how are we to behave? And see, the beautiful thing is, is that Paul is saying, these things are written so we know how to behave. We know how to live. God has left us his word. And he says this, obey my word. Obey my word. This is how you're to behave in my church as a child of the living God. And it goes on. Look at the second half of verse 15. The household of God, which is the church 
of the living God. So let's focus on that. The church is the household of God. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is a household, what it's talking about is a family. So let me break it down a different way. The church is us, the assembly of the saints. So you become a saint when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are set free from your sin. Now you become a child of God. When we assemble together, that's the church coming together. The church coming together and says this, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, which is this, we as the church are family. Now, I've read that so many different times, but this week it kind of just hit me like, wait a minute, I, I have read that multiple times, but have you ever had a verse kind of hit you and you think, wait a minute, we're family. And I know that at one level, but it's like the Lord is revealing that to me in a different level. Family. Family. And so what happens is we start to live as a family and we need to learn how to behave as God's family. But first what I want to do, I want to look at verses talking about God's family. So turn to John chapter 3 starting in verse 1. This is a beautiful back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus. Because here's the thing is that Nicodemus and Jesus are going to have a conversation on how to become part of God's family. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, I'm going to read this last most famous verse in all the Bible. So understand that this John 3.16 comes out of a back and forth with Nicodemus. And it says, verse 16, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, now here's the thing. I know that we've heard it so, so often that you must believe in Jesus and you must be born again, but I hope that you fully are grasping what that means is that there has to be something, a miraculous thing happens in your life and a change has to occur. Something has to occur. I think it's really scary and dangerous for people that grow up in the church because they assume that change has already happened because they've been here since day one. But here's the thing is that that's not true. There has to come a time where we all are born again. And you say, well, wait a minute, Rusty, I don't quite understand that. Well, here's the thing. Jesus goes on and he talks about the wind you know, you, see, you can't see the wind, but you feel the effects of the wind. It's a mystery. Something happens. Miraculously, we are born again. Look at John 5, 1 through 5. Just continuing to talk about this being born. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So here's the thing, is that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And, and there's gonna be a change in our life. Now here's the thing, let's just imagine that it's you at that hospital right now. So you have taken the place of Pat and you're there. My, my hope is, is that you, you feel confident that if that was you, you would say, you know what, Rusty, I feel confident if I was in that bed and the doctor said out of all the patients in all of that massive hospital said that you were the sickest person there, that you would have this confidence knowing that you have been born again. There has been an actual change. Because if there has been an actual change, then we are going to be able to obey the commandments of God. And so we know that how we're supposed to behave as a church when we come together, because God has laid it out clear for us. He has told us, this is how you are to behave. And if you want to behave and obey God's word, that is a very, very good sign that you have been born again and I've said it a different way instead of saying born again you've been born from above there has been a change in your life I hope that you have that confidence that you have been born again look at first John chapter 4 verse 7 and it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so if you are a person that loves God's people, 
That is a great witness that you have been born again. You've been born from above. And so the question is, is this is something that we should all ask, is that do we actually love other people? And maybe where you're sitting, you say, yeah, Rusty, I I do. I do a great job. Or you might feel a little bit convicted and you think, you know what? Man, there's a lot of things that I love, but I don't know if I love people. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. It says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Now here's the part I want to focus on. A pillar and buttress of the truth. The, another word for buttress would be foundation. Maybe your, your translation says foundation. So let's, let's piece this together. It says this. How one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the family of God. That's what Paul has explained to us that he's written these things. How we're to behave in the household of God. And he goes on and clarifies it even more. Which is the church of the living God. That's those that are born again. And then it says this, a pillar and foundation of the truth. So here's what I want us to see there. This is, this is a remarkable thing. Because we know that Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's the rock. Yes. But look at this again. Look at it a little bit closer. It says, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, a pillar and foundation of the truth. Saying, here's what this means. I'm going to explain it to you with an example. Mr. Derek, I need you to pick one of your 16 boys and, and bring them up here. Bring one of them up here. And we're going to give a real world example of what this is. All right. Who we got? We got Davis. All right, Davis. Davis, are you, are you excited to come up here? Are you nervous? No, maybe you're going to be a preacher. Maybe, maybe this is your pulpit here one day. All right, come here. So here's what this means. So if you look at this closer, all right, hold this really quick. Well, actually, I'm going to, get, I'm going to, hold, it, I'm going to hold it first. Okay, here's what this is saying. If you look at it closely, it says this, that the church is a pillar and foundation of the truth. So these two are representing the church. So do you think you could... Stand on your dad's shoulders or, or maybe could you just, how could we do this? How could we get you high in the air on your dad? Can he hold you high? Okay, let's do that. All right, he's going to hold you up high. Maybe just put him on your, yeah, yeah, on your neck. All right, there we go. Okay, now here's, here's, here's what this text is saying. If you look at it close, it's saying this, that the church, the family of God, so they are the church. Let me ask you this, Davis, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day? Have you, have you trusted him with your life? Amen, all right, fives. So we got a, uh, the church, a saint. We got a saint here. This is the church, and this is the truth. So Derek is acting as the foundation. This is a pillar, and he's going to hold up the truth. So I want you to take this Bible. I want you to hold it high over your head. Okay, so that, this is what this text is saying, is that the church, us, 
are foundations and pillars that hold up the truth. All right, I'll take that. Good job. Give him a round of applause. Good job, Davis. Davis, do you feel like you could trust your dad? That he, was he going to hold you? Was he going to take care of you? Yes, you could trust him. So, saints, look at this. This is a beautiful passage because when we see that the church is the foundation in the pillar of the truth, then the question is, how important is, the, is it for the church to actually hold up the truth? So if you are the foundation and you are the pillar, so pillars, foundations are what things are built upon, okay? So foundations are what things are built upon. If you do not build a solid foundation, then the, the pillar will fall. So we are the foundation. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been set free from sin, and we love his commandments, and our lives are in alignment with his scripture. Now, pillars hold up roofs. Pillars hold up roofs. And so you have the foundation and pillars, the church here in this community in Russellville, holding up God's truth. And that's why, saints, that's why we spend so much time studying God's word, because we want to make sure as the church that we are holding up the truth. We want to make sure that as the church, we are behaving in the household of God in a way that is correct and true and that really does accurately describe the truth. Now, here's the thing. It's not just when we are together. It's when you're at your workplace. It's when you're at the baseball diamond. It's when you're at the volleyball court that you are accurately representing the truth, that you are a representation of Christ. When people see you, they see Christ. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Have you ever met a total stranger and you were talking to them and you just thought, this person's a Christian. I don't know what it is, but this person is a Christian. I know they are a Christian. Let me read this to you. This is a quote from a book, and this book is quoting A.W. Tozer. Okay, let me read you this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 piano, pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to, we, to which each one must inv individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to come unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Now, here's what that means. It means this, is that if I'm going to um, uh, tune this piano, I'm going to actually play something for you guys really quick. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to play anything. 
But if we wanted to tune this piano, we wouldn't tune this piano to another piano. We would tune this piano to a device that would get this piano exactly perfect. And then I take this device and I tune it to this piano. And I take it to, the, to, to this device and I tune it to this piano and this piano and this piano. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those things where they put like multiple pianos on a stage. But if you tune all those pianos to one device, they will all be in sync. They will all be in tune. And so here's the beautiful thing, Saint, is that we could go as, as the body of Christ. We could go to anywhere in the world, into any culture, and walk in with God's word. And if that congregation has learned God's word and they are a foundation and a pillar for God's word, we would be in tune with that body of believers. Because we are in the same family. We all are in tune with God's word because we've been born again and we've been taught how to behave in God's church. It's a beautiful thing, Saint. When you start to realize, wait a minute, so I am a foundation and a pillar holding up God's word? Yes, yes, you are. It's a beautiful thing. And this is why we study God's word. Let's look at verse 16. So here's how Paul ends it. Paul just ends it just so excited. I mean, he goes right in to this beautiful description of Christ. And it says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Can I get a hallelujah? Man, isn't that great? Like, this is the thing. This is we as the Christians. This is what we uphold. We uphold Jesus Christ, that he's the truth. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, Saint, here's the thing. When you are out into the world, you represent Christ. And here's the beautiful thing. It's very, very simple. Is that we've all sinned. We've all sinned, and now you say, you know what, Rusty, I, I just, man, I don't know, I'm a little bit nervous. Here's the thing. Just tell them that. Just get it out there. Say, listen, you know what? Uh, we've all sinned and we've messed up. We've broken God's rules. But here's the beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ, he wants you to be set free. He wants you to be born again. He wants you to be set, set free from this flesh. You can ask him, you know how it is that um, nothing in your life is going the way that you want it to go. You know how there's this emptiness inside of you, even though you've made a lot of money, like things are just not lining up. You know how everything that you've tried doesn't work? Well, it's because you need Jesus. Now here's the beautiful thing. Here's what you should do. They might start to fight with you, just say, but stop, can I just read to you one chapter in the book of the Bible? Can I just read to you one chapter? Because I think sometimes we rely on our own eloquence to convince people. But I would just say this. Just, just get with them and say this. Can, can, we just, can I just read you one chapter? And at the end of that chapter, if you say no more, don't talk to me ever again about it, say okay. But can I just read you one chapter and read to them John chapter 1. Just read to them. And watch what God's word does. It washes over people and it changes people. 
And so I will say this, saying you've been given God's word and you are a pillar holding up truth to a world that needs Jesus. And you have access to people that I don't have access to. But man, if you just say, you know what, I know we've been co-workers for like 651 years now, and I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Can we go to lunch? And I just want to read you one Bible verse. I'll pay for lunch. That's, that's you, not me. You'll pay for lunch. And say, listen, let's just go. Let's just go. Let me just read to you. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? What? what? Just say, I, I, just, I just want to do this. And watch what God will do. God is so good. But church family, as we close, worship team, come on up. As we close, I will say this, is that we are a family. And I think little by little, as we go closer and closer together, as we go through good times and hard times, that we start to get closer and closer and closer together. And all of our relationships should be built on God's word. This teaches us how to behave in God's family. It teaches us the main thing is to love each other and to be patient, to be kind. Doesn't mean we compromise the truth. We're gentle with each other, but we have to be pillars of truth. And here's the thing is that God wants us as his representatives in this world to tell people of the love of Christ so that they could be born again. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and you're faithful and you're kind and you're true. Lord, we do thank you for the body of Christ. Father, we thank you that you have made the church a pillar, a foundation of the truth. Lord, the truth is this, is that Jesus Christ loves us. He's perfect. He came to this earth, died a sinner's death, rose from the grave, and ascended. And the other thing is, is that he's coming back. And so, Father, I pray that you would use us to tell a dying world that you love them. Lord, I pray that they would receive you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would just draw near to us. Lord, I pray that if anyone is hurting amongst us, that you would heal them. If marriage is, is our strain, I pray that you would heal them. Pray that you would save every child in here or that we would be a family that is unified around you. Lord, help us to forgive each other when we're harsh or impatient. Lord, if there's any grudge against anyone in our church, Lord, I pray that we would just um, either go to them and ask them to, for, um, to, to uh, apologize or, Lord, that we would just be able to forgive them. But, Lord, let us be a sweet place. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Church, if